0: Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, it's all right. Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at 11 through 22 as we continue our study and our, our view, understanding Advent and uh, who Christ is, what He came to do, and how every aspect of the advent season, is found ultimately in Jesus Christ. Uh, Nothing more, nothing less. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read 11 through 22. I'm reading from the ESV. If you don't have a Bible, if you want a physical copy of the Bible, we have some in the back. If you raise your hand and our ushers will kind of keep your eyes open and uh, they will grab you one and bring you one, you can get up and go get it. You will not bother me at all. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22 says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have made a way for us to understand who you are, who we are, and what you have created us to be. Father, I thank you for this body of believers, those gathered here today. I pray, Father, that you would transform hearts, you would renew minds, that you would help us to leave here different than we walked in. Father, I pray for those that may be weary They may have walked in today heavy laden. Would they see Jesus today? The Prince of Peace. The one that came to bring peace once and for all. Father, would you help me as I preach your word? Would you help me to decrease and would you increase through the preaching? Father, we ask what we know not, would you teach us? And what we are not, would you make us? And what we have not, would you give us? By your grace, for your glory, in Christ's name, God's people said, amen. What is peace? What is peace? you hear that word, peace, what do you think of? Maybe you can write down your definition. Think about it a little bit if you want. But peace is a word that most are familiar with, but often lack concrete biblical definitions in their use or application of it. Maybe when I say peace, you think of perfected harmony, a sense of utopia that allows you to just simply be and relax. Uh, Individually, we often dream of peace in our homes, uh, peace in our relationships, in our lives, at our workplace, peace between kids if you have them, peace between your in-laws if you have them. Corporately, as a society, many suggest that Peace is something that can be achieved if people lay down their differences and come together for a particular purpose. Or there's the idea of peace as something that humanity can manufacture on their own. Something they can control. Well, we can control peace. For example... Uh, Recently, in the last few years, the chant, No justice, no peace, has been a, a, a very blaring and loud chant from many. It was a familiar rally cry the past couple of years suggesting that the presence of peace was contingent upon one party's desired outcome in certain situations they felt demonstrated justice. They they wanted justice in a specific area, desired outcome that they wanted, and if that didn't happen, then they somehow would remove peace. But brothers and sisters, true biblical peace is more than a mere absence of hostility, animosity, and trouble. Biblically speaking, peace represents completeness, blessing, fulfillment, when someone would say, Peace be with you in the Bible, uh, they weren't merely saying, like, I hope you have a conflict-free day. It wasn't just like, I hope you don't get into a fist fight today. It was more in the sense of we would give you something. It's an effective statement of blessing, something that is an effect on the person to which receives it more specifically true peace is something that can only be found in jesus christ and in our text today we see the apostle paul expound the wonderful truth that true peace with god and our fellow man can only be achieved through the work of our savior jesus christ No Jesus, no peace should be the motto that we should exchange in our day. This is not limited to Paul's teachings here. This is an eternal reality that has and will always be. Uh, If you recall, we read it earlier. uh, The Morris family read uh, this, that Christ has come to bring peace, He he came and he brought peace. That was the message that was delivered by the angels to the shepherds when Christ was born over 2,000 years ago. Uh, Luke writes in chapter 2 of his gospel, he says, in in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So these guys are just doing what they normally did, and something crazy happens. They're, They're tending their flock And then, boom, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appears, appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And so these guys were a little afraid, since they had great fear. They weren't used to this type of scene. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. We'll look at that uh, in a couple of weeks. But for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. He points to the fact that, hey, there's going to be an actual present person. And this person is peace. He says, the angels say in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Angels from eternity, from heavenly realm, come to say, hey, there's peace now. This message was simple then. It is simple now. True and lasting peace has come with the arrival of Jesus Christ. But how is this accomplished? What happens in order to establish peace between humanity and God and one another? We find our answer today as we look at Paul's writings to the church in Ephesus. And while looking at our text, we see that the peace of Christ is effective, effective. It it does something in the two most important areas. It's effective to bring peace with God, and it's effective to bring peace with man. Our text today comes directly after one of the most concise and complete presentations of the doctrine of justification by grace alone through faith alone. If we look above our text in verses 8 through 10, just look here with me real quick. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. He says, this is not your own doing." It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Then in verse 10, if you look there with me, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So Paul's point here is to remind his Reader, that there is nothing that they have done or could do to compel, coerce, or convince God to save them. Instead, it is a gift that God distributes at His discretion. It is a gift from God. And then in verse 10 he says, We are His workmanship. Basically, he's saying, like, God is going to do something with us. He, he's going to now, he, he, we are a work of art. We are a work in progress, amen? We all know that. We should know that. But nevertheless, we are God's workmanship. It's a beautiful reminder For us all, when you're feeling weary, you're feeling as if, like, nothing's going right. If you are in Christ, the Lord is working in you. He's doing something. After that reminder, he goes further into the specific details of his reader's condition before Christ. Uh, And he talks about both spiritually and physically here. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That sounds really encouraging doesn't it (laughs) like okay now history also teaches us that the the Jews and the Gentiles and Gentile is just a general statement for non-Jew hated one another they they did not like one another at all Uh, this was an inherited hatred that was passed along from one generation to another generation in fact one historical scholar notes I quote, the Jews believed the Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. A common motto was the best of the serpents crush, the best of the Gentiles kill. It goes on, he says, furthermore, it was unlawful. This is just crazy right here. I quote, furthermore, it was unlawful to aid a Gentile woman in giving birth, for that would bring another heathen into the world. Meant full of love, right? Just compassion and loving group there. So their hostility towards one another was not just some simple disagreement. It wasn't just uh, something that was simply uh, minor. Needed some like minor uh, mediation. Some let's just have some peer mediation here. Uh, why don't you guys sit down and just kind of talk out your differences? They didn't need a little counseling. They, they literally hated one another. Um, here we are also reminded that ethnic hostility is not something new. This is something that has been since the beginning of time. From Genesis 3 on, there's been enmity. Paul highlights the fact here. There are some true physical differences between the Jews and Gentiles. Uh, in verse 12, Paul gives five specifics of their pre-Christian condition. He says, look there with me, they were separated from Christ. Uh, now, this is the main issue. Like, everything else is downstream from this major point Uh, that's a good reminder for us all that's a good reminder for you when you're talking to friends relatives those that may not follow christ and they're talking about all of their major problems well listen uh, that is downstream because you need jesus he says then they were alienated from the commonwealth of israel Essentially what this says is they were cut off from the chosen people of God and all the blessings that came from it. It says they were strangers to the covenant of promise. The covenants that God had made with Israel did not automatically apply to the Gentiles, those that were not of Jewish descent. They were not by human to- terms, by human terms, right, historically a part of those blessings Uh, they also Paul says they were a people of no hope because they had not been a part of the covenant blessing They, they probably didn't have a lot of hope in their situation they had no hope that the messiah that was foretold would be applied to them they really went throughout the world uh, wondering in their lives, like wondering what's going to happen to us. That's why there were so many different uh, pagan uh, idols and false gods that they would worship. And then lastly, we see that they were without God, the one and true God in their world. Uh, Paul is really speaking here to the fact that they didn't know the one true God. The Gentiles had chosen idols over the true God, so their world didn't include God. It was godless. Once again, we're reminded that this doesn't sound very promising for them. Basically, Paul is reminding the Gentile believers of their plight before Christ intervened on their behalf. He says, you were hostile towards God. And you were hostile towards your fellow man. You were hostile towards Jews. You were helpless. You had no true peace. Every area of your life was riddled with inconsistencies, tumultuous behaviors, trials, tribulations that had no purpose. See, before We are found in Christ. The natural man is at war with self, is at war with others, and is at war with God. We are naturally rebellious people inherited an enmity within us. Deep rooted enmity. And in order to bring true peace, that has to be dealt with. That has to be reconciled. And we don't always like this, but internally, if we're honest, we know this to be true. I mean, look, we're not naturally just loving, kind, compassionate, uh, peaceful people, especially when things don't go our way. Order takes a little longer than anticipated. You're, you got to wait in line a little bit longer. The gift you wanted to get. Oh my goodness, they've sold out. I mean, we could just go down the line. They don't make my, my latte the right way. Just it ruined my whole day. But I mean, we're just not naturally, inherently, just peaceful. Because we are at war with self, others, and God. And listen, Paul reminds them of this reality. And brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to remember this reality as well. Remember who you were before Christ. Who you were even last year and how the Lord has sanctified you in the process. But although Paul was called his reader to remember who they once were, he does not tell them to stay focused there for long. He doesn't say, "Hey, stay stay focused on that past life." He he draws their attention here. He re- reminds them of their past but then quickly draws their attention to who they are now in Christ Jesus. Praise be to God. Look at verse 13. Everybody say, but now with me. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. That is applicable to each and every one of us. See, we see here something different. We see a dramatic shift. We see that something has happened. Something has changed. Something has taken effect. We see the contrasting effects of Christ's work. Those who were once far off are now brought near. It's like when my kids go running off and I don't want them to. And I'm like, hey, get over here. Like, come back over here. Like, come close. I want to protect you. I want to love you. Sometimes I just want to be around you. And God says here, in Christ, I've brought my people near. Each and every person that was far off has now been brought near by the blood of Christ. He he says there's not a different way. There aren't a couple of different options here. The point is clear that Christ's substitutionary death on the cross is essential. No cross, no salvation. He says he's got to reconcile something, right? This is why Paul tells the church in Galatia. Paul says, but far Be it from me to boast except for anything other than the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, that's going to be my boast. The cross has effectively created peace because Paul says that Jesus Christ himself is peace. Look at verse 14. What does it say there? Underline that. For he himself is our peace. He Himself is our peace. We must note here that peace is Christ Himself. So if we do not have Christ, we will not have peace. Very simple stuff here. Peace is Christ. This is an optional. This is a truth that needs to be reestablished in our day as we are faced with pervasive ideologies promoting false promises of peace. Any promise of peace that is void of Christ is a pseudo peace. It's a false promise that will never deliver. My kids love ice cream, all right? And I'll be honest, I love ice cream too. And if My kids were just allowed to eat ice cream for every single meal. It would be great. I would enjoy that myself. But it would not provide the substance that I needed. I I wouldn't last too long. I know some of you are like, it would be great. I agree. But brothers and sisters... Just as aiming to satisfy my hunger with ice cream would be foolish, such is the case with aiming for peace without the substance of Christ. It does not work, it won't exist. It can't happen. I've tried. Tried for many years. Tried to do things on my own. Tried to search for this, search for that, fill the gap, find true peace. Just just want a peace within my wrestling soul. And it's non-existent without Christ. Christ is the substance of our peace. Without Him, we will remain peaceful. Paul goes on to show really the effectiveness of knowing the peace of Christ. He says in verse 14, let's read this and make a couple of observations here. He says, for he himself is our peace. We, We established that So we make a quick observation here that the peace of Christ is effective for reconciliation with man. It is effective. As I mentioned earlier, right, there was some long-term hostility and discord between the Jews and Gentiles. But here, Paul reminds them that Christ has brought peace by breaking down the division. He, he breaks it down. Literally, there was a, a wall in the temple, uh, the place of worship that actually uh, was used to keep the Jews uh, or the Gentiles away from the Jews. And the first century historian Josephus tells us that there were messages at various intervals on these walls. And so the, uh, a non-Jew would enter into the to the temple and they would see this wall and it read this. No foreigner is to enter within the railing and enclosure around the temple. Whoever is caught shall have himself to blame for his consequent death. You come in, you will die. If you are not a Jew and you enter into this place, guess what? Finito. Dunzo. No more. So this wasn't just some you know, minor idea. This wasn't just some uh, a minor thing that the, the Gentiles were like, oh, that's pretty cool. This had massive implications. Metaphorically, Uh, The Apostle Paul is speaking of a wall or barrier with the ceremonial laws that commanded regulations such as circumcision, food and drink prohibitions, regulations about festivals, and so forth. So he's saying all of the ceremonial laws that were actually keeping you apart, the required act of religious piety that have created really a a huge wall, a a barrier between the Jews and Gentiles, he says, guess what? It no longer exists. It has been destroyed. And it's because of of the, the blood of Christ. Essentially, he's saying here, everything that separates you ethnically is gone. Everything that separates you religious-wise is gone. All the things that you were doing, that you were manufacturing, they're gone. They're done. This would have been extraordinary news to the church in this day. They would have been swept away by this beautiful reminder of the kindness of God towards them displayed in Christ. This would have knocked their socks off, right? They would have been blown away, flabbergasted that this could ever happen to them. Yeah, they didn't wear socks then. Nevertheless, they would have been swept off their feet. They've been encouraged to the point that their, their hearts would have skipped a beat. Notice at verse 15 that He doesn't make Gentiles into Jews or Jews into Gentiles. He doesn't say like, okay, well, hey, you're going to be them and they're going to be you. No, He creates a new man. He, he creates an entire new humanity, you may say. He says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is essential in our understanding of ethnic or racial, uh, for the the, the word that the the world uses, tensions in the world around us today. This is essential. See, this teaches us that God did not make one ethnicity superior than the other. He, he doesn't just change things and make, okay, well now, what we're going to flip the script. We need, to, we need to change the idea here. He does not intend for one or the other to be superior in the future. He says, I didn't start that way, and I don't want it to end that way as well. Jesus never lifted up one people group over another. We never see that in Scripture. If you're reading that in, I would challenge your hermeneutical approach. Because that's not what it says. It's actually quite the opposite. What Jesus actually says is, I will create a brand new humanity. (laughs) All that other stuff is irrelevant if you are not in Christ. I will make a new humanity because guess what? Both of you, Jew and Gentile, are helpless and hopeless without me. Early church father Christosom writes, It is though one took a statue of silver and a statue of lead, put them in a forge, and they came out a statue of gold. What a beautiful picture. That is something new that has happened to the body of Christ. And what a joyful reality for those who are in Christ. Paul goes on to say that the peace of Christ is effective for reconciliation with God. Look at verse 16. He says, He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the horizontal piece between humanity mentioned in the previous verse is impossible without the vertical reconciliation and the vertical piece that is referenced here. Believing Jews and Gentiles cannot be united into a new humanity if they are not first individually united to Christ. Can't happen. Paul says Christ reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body. And, and this is a reference to that new humanity here, uh, which essentially the new humanity is what? The church, God's people. It is His bride, the bride of Christ. Uh, This unity, Paul says, was accomplished through the cross. Just as verse 13 stated that Gentile believers have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ, verse 14 referenced in his flesh, speaking of Christ. So once again, we see that the atoning death of Christ is the focus. Uh, The final kind of clause in this verse, he says, thereby killing the hostility. This indicates the result of Christ's work. The hostility between God and man, praise the Lord, has been removed. It's been removed by Christ. This is an important time to pause and reflect once again. Ask yourself, first, do I have hostility towards another member of the body of Christ? Secondly, do I have hostility towards uh, maybe another ethnic group? Thirdly, do I have hostility towards God? Are you angry at God over something that happened in your past? You angry at God over your current circumstance? Are you angry at God because of the world you see around you? Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, Christ has killed the hostility. Focus your eyes on Christ. Essentially, Paul is saying that the ethnic peace that is presented here is a natural result from peace with God. So for Christians, the hostility is dead. It has been already killed. If you're not living that, I would question if you are in Christ. I will apply this further and say that this verse teaches us that Christians are called to be people of short accounts, not holding wrongdoings against each other. And here's why, right? Because unforgiveness and bitterness often leads to hostility. So if we're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness towards another, the next step is usually Hostility. Hostility in our thoughts, in our actions. Paul says that for Christians, listen, this is important. The only thing we should be hostile against is our sin. And anything that would be a barrier to our sanctification. Remember, by God's grace, you won't, be face to face with Jesus in your current state. You will be glorified. You will be made new. You will be changed along the way till that final rest. And We should not resist anything that invokes that change. See, we are people Called to promote true peace in Christ, just as Jesus did himself. Look at verse 17. He says, He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. He says, To those that were far off, the Gentiles, those that were near, the Jews. And this is not to say that one was closer than the other. Instead, he is again putting everyone on the same playing field here. He's saying, okay, hey, you you, you call yourselves the close, the near. You call yourselves the far off. He says, hey, you all were peaceless until you knew Jesus. We are to be a people who advance this same message to those around us. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You need the peace of Christ. Because of Christ, you can have peace. And, and this is the same peace that we promote and share as Christians, especially as we're reminded as everyone in the world is watching in the Christmas season. It's the the, the one time, the year, when when people actually, they they start to think, and they have to kind of answer the question, well, why do we celebrate this day and this time anyway? forced to be to reconcile the idea that there was a man and his name was Jesus. And Advent is a time that we look back to what has been done while looking forward to what is to come. In verse 18 we read for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father and what does it say here? Through who? Through Christ? We now come to God with boldness because of what Christ has done. Notice here, there's not a contingency plan. There isn't another way presented here. Jesus' is plan A, there is no plan B. Let's keep that plan primary in our evangelism and interactions with one another. And then as we close here, let's look at the peace of Christ as effective for our new identity. Effective for our new identity. In verses 19 through 22 we read, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He says, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So to really close, to galvanize, to illustrate his point here, Paul points to three pictures to teach us that the peace of Christ has literally changed our identity Uh, the first thing we read here is that we are now in Christ we are fellow citizens we are fellow citizens see we are no longer refugees we're no longer second class citizens in someone else's territory. We are real citizens existing in God's kingdom. And citizenship means the same benefits and privileges as one another. It means we've got the same rights. We are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. And as citizens of heaven, we have been given blessings that are secured for eternity. Eternity. Secondly, Paul says we are family. The body of Christ is a family. He says we are members of the household of God. And look, this has very drastic implications for us today. Like we are literally a blood-bought Family. We got different backgrounds. We got different stories. Got different ethnicities. Got different likes and different preferences. But we are a family that has been bought by the blood of Christ. We're brothers and sisters. Fathers and mothers. You know, if you don't have a lot of siblings, uh, guess what? If you're a Christian, you do. Uncountable amounts. Brothers and sisters. If you don't have a mother or father. Maybe you didn't have a, a great representative of a mother or father. Guess what? God has designed a family where you have Multiple spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, where you learn and you grow from each one. As family members, we also have a responsibility to one another. We have a responsibility as the body of Christ, as the family of Christ. You know, the, the, the church isn't a, a Sunday show. It, it isn't just an event that you come to and you, you just uh, come in and then you evaluate your experience uh, You know and on, based on what you received and, and how you felt during it. It's a family that comes together to be reminded of the work of our Savior who has created a family to live life with now and for eternity. You know, our, our kids, uh, Sasha and I's kids, we, they're five and almost three. Like, they don't contribute a lot. Um, I'm talking to Zion about getting a job, but he's, he's really opposed to that idea. <clears throat> but we do teach them, like, hey, you're going to do some chores, right? We're teaching them already do chores. And I actually love watching. Zion actually likes dishes. It's a weird, strange thing. Yes, uh, we've we've helped him to see the, the value in that. But we want our kids to contribute because they are a part of the family. And the same goes for us. As the family of God, we contribute to one another. And this really presses our individualistic Western society, right? Even our idea of the church. Too often, the the church is thought of of like the building or the, the service that's provided in the building. But Paul actually speaks here and he says that the people of God are actually the building. Spiritually, metaphorically speaking, here themselves. Look at the third observation here. He says, We are a temple. We are a temple. He says, There is a we are a temple that is brought and built together that God now works in and through. This is why Jesus says, like, where two or more are gathered, there I will be. He's actually talking and speaking to the church there. He's saying when the church is gathered, I'm present. Something is happening. The Spirit is working. He says here in this passage that Christ is the cornerstone. He holds it all in place. In construction, the cornerstone uh, is used to align all the other stones, uh, to tie everything together. Everything else is built off of that. Make sure everything is secure. And that is the peace that Jesus Christ brings to all who are His. His. Just a couple of closing thoughts. The same political opinions don't bring true and lasting peace. Same interest doesn't bring true and lasting peace. Worldly ideologies won't bring true and lasting peace. Christless means and methods of racial reconciliation will not bring true and lasting peace. Your attempts to be good enough will not bring true and lasting peace. Continuing to walk in unrepentant sin will not bring true and lasting peace Habitually blaming everyone else for your problems will not bring true and everlasting peace. Pretending everything is okay won't bring true and lasting peace. Friend, let me remind you that nothing will bring true peace except for Christ. He's our hope. He's our peace. He's our love. He's our joy. And as we go today and continue to live our lives in this world who, that is, is often peaceless, may we be people of peace, promoting, proclaiming the good news that Christ has come. And because of his arrival, because of the life he lived, the death he died on our behalf, and the affirmation of it by the resurrection from the grave, Christ is Lord, living today. May that be your peace. Let us pray.